get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. The Leafs are done. The Jets roll on. Heart Trophy conversation. Big show coming up here on TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN radio network. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can get the show if you miss any of it there or on our TSN 1050.ca show page. Also, we tweet out all the links on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Great show today. In just a moment, we're going to kick things off with Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Then get a Maple Leafs year in review. James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto. Rob Reese following him, fantasy editor at NHL.com. And then Heroes and Zeros with Scott Cullen. But let's head now to the Domino's delivery line. And, folks, you can get a medium feast pizza with any type of variety of toppings you want. So many different choices for just $10.99 at dominoes.ca. Check it out today, dominoes.ca. Travis Yost. Travis, how's it going, bud? I'm doing good, Andy. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Hey, the Jets are doing better, though, brother. 4-1 win, 24-year-old Connor Hellebuck running wild. And you wrote on tsn.ca your second-round preview of every series. And with the information you provided for the Jets-Preds series, there wasn't really that much separating these teams at all. But how much should we read into the fact that Nashville had doubled the offensive zone possession time compared to Winnipeg? Is it something we should expect the Jets to fix? Or is Nashville really that dominant of a puck possession team? Well, there's something to keep in mind here, too. Nashville was trailing the majority of the game, too. And we know score effects are way more pronounced yeah. in the playoffs. So that that's not that surprising. But... You know, a lot of what that that matchup looks like and what it comes down to is two teams that are elite five-on-five. Um, Nashville, if Nashville's the best five-on-five team in the league, Winnipeg is number two, consistently 54 55% of the scoring chances and shots for both sides. Um, the, the, the big key for me, though, um, in terms of whether this series goes Nashville or Winnipeg's way is how do special teams play out? Because Winnipeg has a pretty darn good uh, power play and their their penalty kill actually had improved over the course of the year. Nashville's power play actually hasn't been there most of the year. Where where they have really made um, headway is just completely blitzing teams at even strength. The, the big piece for Nashville they over the course of the series they have got to stay out of the penalty box. They were shorthanded I believe 299 times this year, which is dead last in the NHL. Now that did improve over the course of the year, but to me that is the most important thing to watch here going forward. If Nashville continues to give opportunities to Winnipeg's power play, they are going to get burned, and I think Winnipeg is going to win that series. Uh, again, the, the, the margin between these two teams is so thin, you probably couldn't even slide a piece of paper through it. Um, they're probably the two best teams in the league, at least two of the three best teams in the league. Uh, the issue now for Nashville, though, is you drop game one at home. Home ice has now went back the way of Winnipeg, and let's be honest, if, if it's hard to play, if it's hard to win at Bridgestone, it's even harder to win. Uh, in Jets home ice, I mean, Jets play really, really well at home. That crowd is insane. They're right up on top of you. Hey, that That is a real issue. Nashville, it's, it's almost like Nashville's in a must-win spot here in game two now. Wow. And, uh, Travis, let's talk about Vegas. 7 nothing. Come on. Like, what, what can't this Vegas team do? This is ridiculous. Rolling over San Jose. Golden Knights had seven goals total in their first-round sweep against the Kings. Then they had seven in one game. Like, what, what do you make of this Vegas team? I don't even know what to say anymore with them. It's crazy. It's crazy. Again, the, the, the biggest takeaway for me in game one wasn't the fact that they scored on every other shot, which is <laughs> it's insane. But it's a fun story. It's not going to continue. Everyone knows yeah. that. 
but the, the part that was the takeaway for me is they made San Jose look very slow. And I don't think of San Jose as a slow team, but they sure as hell looked like it in front of Martin Jones. I'm not sure. I mean, Martin Jones did not play well. I think they pulled him after the fourth goal for Arendelle. But hey, it's, it's not even just about goaltending. I mean, Vegas had so much sustained offensive zone time. It almost looked like San Jose was just trying to get the puck off the boards and out, just try and relieve pressure on every other shift. And it was very reminiscent of that LA, LA Vegas series net the, you know, the crazy insane goal scoring in, in, in the opener. Uh, LA had the same issues where pretty much down the lineup and including their top line, the Andre Kopitar line, they were just overwhelmed by Vegas' speed. And I, I, I think that was on full display. The Jonathan Marshall line again skating circles around San Jose's top six and their depth was doing the same thing against San Jose's depth. And, and I will, Vegas is going to run into issues in the next series if they do beat San Jose because Nashville and Winnipeg are two teams that can skate with Vegas. But if you're a Shark fan, put, put the 7-0 score aside. That's neither here nor there. The question really is, can you really win a series against Vegas if you look that slow? And now, there's, I mean, I, Evander Kane, I, di- I didn't see if any news had come out on him, but there's, there's no way he's playing game two, right? Did they, did they conclude on that? Uh, one game suspension. Yeah, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's another thing, right? Evander Kane had been so good since the trade deadline. Maybe their second or, you know, first or second best forward um, in terms of dominance, goal scoring, you know, across the board. And he's getting pulled out of the lineup for a meaningless headshot in a, in a game that was completely concluded and wrapped up. I, I didn't understand that play at all. Um, it was a garbage hit. I, I, it was, I actually wonder if that suspension would have been more than one game if he didn't get ejected from game one. Hmm. But, again, now San Jose's in a bind. It's going to be tough. If, if they go down 0-2 in the series, kind of like what we were talking about with National Winnipeg, I, how do they win the series if they're down 0-2 here? Unbelievable. Unbelievable Vegas keeps going. In conversation with Travis Yost on the Domino's delivery line. Uh, okay, so the Boston Bruins facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we eventually saw an exciting Maple Leafs offense get to Tuka Rask and the Bruins. So now they go from a, a decently skilled team to probably the most skilled team in the Lightning. Are there any carryover warning signs for Boston? Uh, number one, and maybe this is the most concerning sign for any team in the league, is Charlie McAvoy, who has been sensational all year. He, there is something wrong with Charlie McAvoy, and I don't mean that in a mean way. He is playing hurt. I even think that's been reported at some point by NESN in the last couple of weeks. And they, Boston has probably the best line in the NHL. The Patrice Berger online ran rough shots seven games in a row against Toronto. Well documented at this point. But a lot of what had made Boston better this year, year over year anyway, is how much better their depth was and the big step-ups they're getting from players like Charlie McAvoy and Tori Krug behind Zdeno Chara. Because, you know, Chara, fantastic defender, but 41 years of age at this point. He can't be logging 30 minutes a night. Mm. And I think that's one of the ways that Toronto actually did create some sustained offensive pressure on basically a nightly basis because McAvoy looked completely un McAvoyish and the rest of the blue line kind of looked rattled from time to time. Boston is limping into this Tampa Bay series, and Tampa Bay is fully healthy or pretty damn close to it. I, I think of the eight teams here, I think Boston is in the worst spot of any eight teams, and I, and I truly think the world of the Bruins. I think they're one of the four or five best teams in the league. I just, you know, they're the road team in a series against a healthy team. They're banged up. They don't have a depth advantage. Their goaltender just was bailed out by his team. I think Tukarask was sub-90% over seven games against the Leafs. 
there, there's pretty much every everything that Boston is good at, Tampa Bay might be better at, and then everything that Boston is bad at, Tampa Bay can expose. So I, I think this is this this has the chance to be, and it seems insane because the team just lost seven nothing. This this could be the quickest series I think. I, Tampa Bay has just everything in their favor right now. So I will be interested to see how Boston comes out in Game One for sure. Yeah, I'm feeling five for Tampa Bay. Is that right around where you think? I'm uh, five or six. I think I, yeah. I think I put them in my second round preview at six. Because I, I, I you know I do admire I, I do admire how strong the top of Boston's lineup is still, but. You know, again, I, I don't see any particular strength they have. Maybe if Tukaras returns to normalcy, they have a slight goaltending advantage. But outside of that, I, I don't see it. And the final series we have uh, to talk about, boy, Penguins, Capitals, Crosby, Ovechkin, the obvious history there. Uh, 3-2 winners the other day uh, for uh, Pittsburgh to go up in that series early in Game 1. Uh, what what should we take from the history of these of these two teams, like is this is this a standalone series? Do you feel, or is it like something that that has kind of built up, like it, it, from from the from that that past, right? Like, is that in anybody's head? Because I think fans sometimes think more of that than maybe the players do. Uh, I, I I certainly think you're right. I think for, fans make up more of it than than anything. I mean, what what should we really conclude that Pittsburgh beat them four years ago? I mean, yeah. there's like seven players still yeah. from that series. I love those history ones, right? Where it's like, yeah. well, four years. Six, well, so so what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not really material or relevant. It, yeah. If if something had happened a year or two years ago, I, mm-hmm. I think that's more timely, more recent. But you know, I, I, putting that aside. I, I think the series is fascinating for a few reasons. One of which is I, I think Pittsburgh's clearly the better team. Um, despite Washington finishing ahead of them in the standings, I, I think the most interesting wrinkle here is what Washington does across the series in, in the net. And the reason why I say that is I never particularly, un- in hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but I never particularly understood pulling Braden Hopi for Grubauer in round one. I think that was the wrong move. I think Barry Trotz would have conceded as much. Uh, Hopi, I mean, Vezina finalist two of the last three years, three of the last four years, has been a sensational goalie for the majority of his career, pretty much bailed Washington out in round one if we want to be completely fair yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, they, they were not getting the goaltending they needed in the first couple games. And and the reason why I bring up Holpe is the one area where you can expose Pittsburgh is, I think, in that. I don't, I don't think Matt Murray is anything above an average goaltender. I think the reason why that Pittsburgh-Philadelphia series, even though it was five games, was a little bit messy, was because Pittsburgh wasn't getting the type of goaltending that they needed from Matt Murray. And if Washington does have a decisive goaltending advantage, sometimes that's all you need to be in the position to pull off an upset. But again, you know, Washington has a good power play. Pittsburgh had the most productive power play in the entire league. I think they were scoring nine goals for 60 minutes over the course of the entire regular season. There's just not a great answer for that. Jake Gensel's on fire playing on Sidney Crosby's wing. Um, They have depth. They have explosiveness. I I just, there's no area in five on five special teams. You know, you go down the list where Washington seems to have an advantage in the series, and yet they're up 1-0. Uh, again, I, I, my eye is on the goaltending matchup here. I do think that's where Washington has an advantage. I do rate Hopi substantially higher than Matt Murray. But outside of that, I, I do think if Washington is to advance, it's going to mean Hopi is stealing three or, four, uh, three or four games in the series. And last one for you here, Travis. Uh, shifting away from the playoffs, yesterday the Hart Trophy finalists were announced for the regular season MVP. League's leading point scorer, Connor McDavid, not a finalist. The league's second leading point scorer, Claude Giroux, not a finalist. Can you explain why Nathan McKinnon, Anze Kopitar, and Taylor Hall, who I know in, in, you were a few weeks back, right, you were touting Hall, uh, were the three ones selected? 
Well, I think Hall and McKinnon make a lot of sense, right? I, I, the argument of they are two of the, I don't know, five or six best players in the league this year, plus they played on teams where they had very little help. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I definitely get the MVP argument. Probably the most specious of the three is Andre Kopitar. Now, Kopitar had an unbelievable regular season. The tricky part, and I, you know, you got to train yourself to, to not get caught into this, is this is a regular season measure, and Andre Kopitar had a fantastic regular season. If he wasn't three, he was four or five. Um, and L.A. made the playoffs, and I think voters delineated that, uh, used that to delineate between Kopitar and McDavid because, you know, Edmonton finished so many points out of, out of the playoff picture. And Fair enough, yeah. The, the, trick with, the trick with Kopitar, though, it's like they, L.A. had such a disastrous first round you don't want. You, it, first off, you should not hold that against them because it's a regular season measure. But it's it's almost it's it's impossible to leave that you know to get that taste out of your mouth, right? Like if this guy is truly the MVP, how did his team get completely skated out of a building by an expansion team? And I and, I, and let me be clear again, I, I don't think we should grade that or hold that against Kopitar in any way. But it, it does it does raise a question of like, eh, okay, he's a finalist, but what does this actually look like in terms of who actually wins this thing? Um, I, again, I think I think Taylor Hall is going to win it. Um, I, I think McKinnon would be a worthy winner too. Um, my, I, I, I think my three would have been Hall, McKinnon, Claude Giroux because I thought Giroux, for the same reasons, had a phenomenal regular season. Probably added the most goals of any player in the NHL if you looked at how Philadelphia performed with him and without him on the ice. Um, I think it was plus 40 goals um, to the standing, so that's a substantial number. But you know, again, I, I think the voters for the most part got it right. I think Taylor Hall is going to end up winning this and. To me, that that definitely passes my smell test. Yeah, and you uh, you called them as a potential finalist and winner weeks ago. So great stuff. All right, Travis, uh, we'll do it again next week. Season finale next week, buddy. All right, man. Take care, Andy. Okay, talk to you soon. That is Travis Yost from TSN. Say always bringing it, Travis on Twitter. Must follow at Travis Yost. We'll step aside. James Myrtle, editor in chief of the Athletic Toronto. After the break, we will put a bow on the Maple Leaf season and what they have to do this off season to try to advance past the first round in upcoming years. A lot more coming up. TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050. Yeah, I would. I mean, uh, he's a good player. You see that he makes guys around him better, and uh, we have you know good chemistry off the ice and on the ice, and we have played with each other. It's been fun. So, uh, yeah, I love to play with them, but you know, I'm not the one making the lineup. Right? So, uh, you know, whoever you play with, uh, that's that's who it is. And uh, you know, we got plenty of plenty of great players on this team. Austin Matthews wants to play with Mitch Marner. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN Radio Network. I'm Andy McNamara. Follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes. If you missed any episodes or any of this show, you can get us there or on the TSN1050.ca show page. And joining me now on the Domino's delivery line is James Myrtle, Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto. Make sure, folks, get your pizza today. Get your side dishes, boneless chicken, marbled cookie, brownie, pasta, all at Domino's.ca. James, how's it going, bud? I'm good, Andy. How are you? I am doing well. Well, you heard the audio right there. Uh, Austin Matthews saying he would enjoy playing with Mitch Marner. Also admits he isn't the one with the power to make that decision. Now, it's tough to fault Matthews, really, for, for what he said. That in itself isn't necessarily news that he wants to play with Marner. But it will, I guess it would have been bigger if he didn't want to play with Marner. Knowing what you know about Mike Babcock, how he's managed his talent in the last few years, is he more likely to go top-heavy with forward power or keep trying to spread out the wealth? No, I think he's going to stick with, you know, Mike Babcock is a stubborn guy and he's been around a long time and he knows what 
what he's doing and what he's trying to do. And, you know, there's a, there's a method to, to what he's been doing with his lineup. I wonder though, if the Leafs are down a goal, if uh, potentially he'll, he'll go with, with Marner together with Matthews and, and try that out at, at times in games. We saw it a little bit in, in the playoff series, obviously against Boston. And the other thing too is, is with JVR and, and Bozak moving on, you know, the way that the power play units work next year is going to be a lot different. So could be a situation where where Matthews and Marner play together a lot on, on a top power play unit, and that'll give them uh, some time to show the coach and prove to them just how good their chemistry potentially is. Right, and if you're given the chance and you deliver, then at some point the hand is going to be forced, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, Mike Babcock's been good with that. I mean, I remember, you know, in late January when he put uh, Mitch Marner with, with Kadri and Marlowe, and then they clicked right away, and that stayed aligned for the rest of the year. So, you know, it's it's funny, you know, it's I was thinking um, Matthews and Marner playing together. I mean, they're good friends off the ice. It's the same thing with Gardner and Riley. I mean, Gardner mm-hmm. and Riley would love to be paired together, and the, the rare times when they do get on the ice together, they love it, and, and they've both told me that they wanted to play together. So, you know, it's kind of best putting your best D with your best D and your, your best winger with your best center, and it'll be interesting to see if they experiment a little bit more with that next year. Now, James, another storyline coming out of the locker cleanout between Matthews and Babcock was their actual relationship, star player and head coach. How much stock are you giving that storyline? Like, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be a concern if they're not best buds going for brews, but is there any, anything we should be taking away of the relationship uh, between Babcock and Matthews right now? I mean, I think the biggest thing to take away is that a lot of players get frustrated playing for Babcock. I mean, that was mm-hmm. the case in Detroit for years and years and years. That's the case in Toronto. I mean, it's it's not something limited to Matthews. Babcock is a very demanding person to work with day after day. And when you're losing key games and you're not producing and, you know, it's a, a playoff. Austin Matthews wants to win so badly and wants to perform so badly that he puts a lot of in, uh, pressure on himself and, you know, you add in the factor of your coach putting additional pressure on you and talking about you in the media and not performing. And I think that Austin Matthews just got a little bit frustrated and he's not alone on, on the Leafs. I mean, there's other guys on the team that, that feel the same way and I don't think it's going to cause any any long-term problems and I think it's all going to be forgotten here in about a week or two. Right. And it's at the end of the year, right? You lost a tough series, you say some things and then, yeah, you have the whole summer to, to kind of get over it. If this was coming up more mid-season and you had to keep grinding away, maybe that would be more of a concern. But that, I, I agree. This should all blow over by training camp in plenty of time, right? Yeah, I mean, I was asking around a little bit about it, and, you know, one of the responses I got I think made a lot of sense, and it was, you know, none of the players liked playing for Scotty Bowman. Mm. You know, they didn't, but they liked getting their Stanley Cup ring at the end yeah. of the year. So, <laughs> you know, if, if the team is successful, this stuff isn't going to matter at all. Exactly. In conversation with James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. He joins me courtesy of the dominoes.ca delivery line. Okay, James, the Leafs, uh, well, a lot of off-season work to do. You go through the checklist, a handful of veteran UFAs, signing William Nylander. But the guy who's been dealing with those negotiations, Lou Lamorello, has an expiring contract of his own to deal with. Did Locker Cleanup Day provide any insights into how Brendan Shanahan and the Leafs are going to approach the Lamorello extension, if that is going to happen. No, it was like the opposite of an update yesterday. It was <laughs> Lou Lamorello got up and talked for nine minutes and effectively said nothing. And 
you know, the update was there was no update. So <laughs> we're not 100% sure what's going to happen. I, I don't. I mean, I think it's going to either be Kyle Dubas as a GM or they find a way to, to keep Lou Lamarillo for another year or two. So uh, we wait until that announcement gets made. It could be soon. I mean, it could be something that happens. I think it's, it's something they're going to want to clarify here well in advance of the draft because there's so many decisions, like you said, that need to be made this offseason. And the Leafs need to know who's making those decisions. So, you know, Brandon Shanahan was there at, at the ACC yesterday for the Locker Cleanout Day, but uh, he declined to speak with the media. So we wait to uh, hmm. probably find out via press release here in, in the near future. Does, does what, do you, what do you feel? Like he's done a great job, but he's, you know, getting up there in age, of course. How much relevance that has, who knows? Is, do you think the front office is ready to be turned over to whichever lieutenant they deem worthy? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, the decisions that get made this summer are going to have long-standing ramifications. So I think you want the person in place that's going to be there for a long period of time. You know, the, the, this person's going to decide what Neilander's contract looks like, probably what uh, Matthew's contract looks like, probably who the captain's going to be, uh, probably what kind of a contract you give either to John Carlson or John Tavares in free agency, um, on and on and on and on and on. I mean, this is one of the most important summers the Leafs are going to have in this era of the franchise. And, you know, you I think you want some continuity and you want the person who's going to be making those decisions to be there for quite a long time. So I think it's time to make a decision. Uh, we'll see if Shanahan agrees or not. Hmm. And last one for you here, James. How much do you think the seven-game first-round series against the Bruins affected the future of William Nylander, because we've noticed many people speaking much more freely about the possibility of moving Nylander now. If they don't go that far, they're quick to mention the thought of a bridge deal. Ala, you know, we saw it, it worked out to a certain degree for it with Nazem Kadri to keep kind of bridging and, and to see what you have. What do you think is going to happen with Nylander? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with the contract. It's, it's tricky. That's a great question. I mean, I think I would lean towards going long-term, but it's going to depend on what the number is, and it's going to depend on what his camp wants. And, you know, that could be a discussion that stretches right up until training camp starts in September. So um, I think you got to be real careful not to overreact to a seven-game series. Right. Um, you know, I would want to see Nylander play in a couple more playoff series before I decide if I'm, I'm thinking of trading him. But the contract is, is a trickier question, and... You know, I've crunched the numbers, and I think as long as you can get him for six million a year or six and a half million a year, you go long term. And if they want more than that, then maybe you start looking at a bridge deal. But we've seen lots of players do the bridge deal, and it's backfired on the team. Kucherov is a perfect example. Uh, PK Subban was another example. You know, both of those guys when they came out of the bridge deal, Kucherov isn't there yet, but they got paid a lot more money than they would have gotten on a long-term deal two or three years earlier. And I think that Nylander's in that boat. I think if you give him a two-year contract, he's probably going to have two huge, at least regular seasons, and he's going to be able to command, you know, eight, nine, ten million. And we're not looking, we're not talking six or six and a half. So at least need to be be careful with with going the bridge deal route. James, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate all your help this season. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, Andy. All right, James Myrtle. Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto. Follow him on Twitter at Myrtle. Going to get into some fantasy hockey talk after the break. The playoffs keep rolling around. Whether you're in an office pool league with friends, DraftKings, whatever, we'll get some fantasy hockey tips from Rob Reese, fantasy editor at NHL.com after the break here on TSN Hockey Analytics. 
get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Neal denied a goal by the referee's whistle at the end of the second period. Looking for one. Stop! And scores! High cue, power play goal. James Neal hits an extra point after the touchdown. Knights lead it 7 nothing. That would be the final. Still can't believe that. Expansion Vegas 7-zip, a shutout over the Sharks. Wow. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. Follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. On iTunes, you can get us the TSN1050.ca show page as well. And let's head to the Domino's.ca delivery line where you can get a medium feast pizza for just $10.99. Side dishes like pasta. You want a large? Got a large for you for topping eleven ninety nine. Check out all the carryout and delivery deals at dominoes.ca. Fantasy hockey time. Rob Reese, fantasy editor at NHL.com. Rob, how's it going, bud? Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Andy, for having me on. Oh, really appreciate it. Listen, a, a segment we've done all year with uh, your co-worker, James Harding, is stock up, stock down, and we'll roll through some DraftKings fantasy lineups, too. So let's get started. Stock up. Stock down. All right, so Rob, give me two stock-up fantasy players for this weekend's games. Yeah, as you were just saying about Vegas and how well they're playing, my first one is David Perron, who had you know that undisclosed injury late in the regular season. Um, Coach Gallant got him in those two games against L.A. A little bit of a slow start for him with one assist there, but his time on ice got over 17 minutes in his first game. He had two assists in the second round, so... I really like David Perron, and and the best thing I think about him right now is that he's playing on that second power play unit with his regular season line mates and Eric Halla and James Neal. They had great chemistry all regular season long, so I look for Perron to keep delivering, and especially, too, at home. I think Perron really elevates his game to the next level. So I would definitely be looking for David Perron to have a big game today. And then another player, I'm going to go for a game tomorrow in the Washington Capitals and Penguins game, is TJ Oshie. And the interesting thing about TJ Oshie, he hasn't practiced more than one time in the whole playoffs. He's banged up. It's definitely more than one ailment, but it hasn't affected his game at all. He led all caps forwards with 21-plus minutes on ice in game one against the Penguins. Uh, Two shots, five blocks, didn't register a point. But I think for Oshie, the key thing is his role in that power play. You know, John Carlson is going crazy right now with points. Evgeny Kuznetsov is playing top-level hockey. Same with Alex Ovechkin. So I think Oshie's kind of the underrated guy on the power play. He's going to be free in the slot for some goals. I've got Oshie having a big game tomorrow. Okay, so those are the ones we should go for. Give me a couple stock downs who we should clear, stay clear from if it's in your fantasy pool, DraftKings, whatever. Yeah, so a player that I'm not so hot on right now is Thomas Hurdle. You know, he had a great first round, um, you know, with three goals. But I think with the Vander Kane suspension, you know, having him out now and Hurdle is probably going to have to play a little bit more. I think Hurdle was really benefiting from playing with Couture on the second line, getting some favorable matchups against, you know, some some second and third pair guys. So, you know what, I'm going to be down a little bit on Hurdle. I think he's going to be better at home. But while they're still away on the road – Say, avoid Hurdle, avoid the Sharks, let Vegas have their time. I think they're going to get up 2-0 in the series. 
Um, and then another guy that I'm a little down on right now is Chris Letang with the Penguins. Uh, he did play over 25 minutes in game one, but when you really break down the numbers, Justin Schultz, co-blue runner on the Penguins, he played a full minute more on their power play. And, you know, he's done a better job getting those clean breakout passes, those clean zone entries. And, you know, you see how physical Washington played that first game. They had over 44 hits. I don't think Latang thrives in those physical games. I think he's better off when they're playing a little bit more, you know, power play style hockey. And right now, Justin Schultz took that role from him. Okay, so that was stock up, stock down. Now, DraftKings has a cool game. We talked about it last week. The showdown, where you actually pick an actual matchup between two teams and draft specifically based on that one game. So not by position. Flex, if you don't want to play a goalie, you don't got to play a goalie. You can pick whatever you like in those games. So being the lone Canadian team left, uh, the Winnipeg Jets are, are of interest. So figuring, all right, let's look at um, uh, the uh, game two of the Jets Preds, which would go tomorrow. What are a few players you think might be of interest for maybe value buys in that Jets Predators game? Yeah, these showdown contests are interesting because they take face-offs into account too. So you're really right. looking for complete play- right, for complete players. And obviously they take blocks and shots into account as well. So I think a good strategy is to get to the floor in those contests. And what I mean by that is finding value, especially um, guys on the blue line that are going to get those shots and blocks. And as you mentioned, Winnipeg, now Canada's team, uh, I'm looking at Jacob Truba. He's been playing really, really well. He played over 21 minutes in game one. Again, he didn't get um, on the scoreboard, but I'm not too concerned about it. He got five blocks, three shots on goals. Uh, he did have a goal in round one, but his shot volumes is really encouraging, especially because we're so focused, I think, on Bufflin back there, who has got a boomer from the point. Uh, I'm going to go and say get Jacob Truba, probably a little bit more lower ownership too, which is a great strategy to kind of get higher placement in those showdown contests. So I would start on the blue line with Truba. Then another jet I'm looking at, again, kind of flying under the radar here, is Andrew Kopp. He plays a two-way game. Um, Paul Maurice really relies on him in, in many different situations. We had, he had a quiet game one, I think predominantly because Nashville kept getting on the power play, and you know they, could, they were having trouble rolling four lines, the Jets were. So I would still say Andrew Kopp, who had a great first round with three points, I would target a little bit of a lower-priced guy like that too. And then you can fill in with the heavy hitters, Patrick Laine, you know, you could get him and Philip Forsberg, which are going to be the two highest-priced pl- players, if you do fill in your lineup with the uh, Andrew Cops and you know those kind of third, fourth-line guys. Um, so I still, I still like Nashville. They still have a lot of value at home. You know, I think Kellebuck's obviously playing really yeah. well, but I don't think we can exclude um, someone like Kyle Turris, who you know is really, I think, my key for for Nashville um, getting back in this series. Um, you know, second line center, again, gets a little bit more favorable matchups against Winnipeg's defense. Um, so he's going to be priced in the 5000 range, probably on the lower end, if not high fours. So, again, you're going to get a lot of face-offs with him. He had 72% um, in the face-off dot in, the, in game one. So, you know, you're going to get points for that. And I would probably, you know, go with Hellebuck again, you know, ride the wave, ride the hot goalie. Sure. I know how good Rene is at home. But, and same with Hellebuck, too. You know, even on the road, you know, his numbers are a little bit less than his crazy home record. But still, I, I would say ride Hellebuck, you know, until uh, the wheels fall off here. 
Yeah, the Jets are flying. Uh, in conversation with Rob Reese, fantasy editor from NHL.com on Twitter at NHL Reese. He joins me on the Dominoes.ca delivery line. Let's look at a general DraftKings contest here in the classic format. So two games today, Boston into Tampa Bay, game one, San Jose at Vegas, and we played the clip coming in. Vegas seven nothing. Now, uh, Rob, I don't know about you. I'm not expecting Vegas to go uh, a seven zero again after scoring just seven goals the entire first round. But in that dual combo, so if we're looking at the classic matchup on DraftKings, the fifty thousand cap, it's really between the two games today. Are there a couple players you think have have good value or someone you're going to go for? Definitely. There's great value, again, in David Perron, who I said earlier. He's priced at $4,600, and, you know, that power play for him is really valuable. Um, To turn away from Vegas for just a second, I agree. I don't don't think it's going to be 7-0, but, you know, I think San Jose might come on a little later in the series. So I do think, you know, you should still target the Vegas guys today. Um, But to change gears and go to the Boston-Tampa Bay afternoon game, I really like two players in that game. Uh, great value with Jake DeBrusque for Boston. Obviously, you know, he was a great regular season player at home uh, this season, but now we're seeing his game really flourish on the road to in the playoffs. Really instrumental player against uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one. Uh, you can see that he's playing right around 15 minutes a game, so he's getting great matchups, great utilization. And again, he's another one of those players that gets the shots and some blocks occasionally, so he will get you to the floor. So I, I would target Jake DeBrusque this afternoon. And then on the flip side, I would go Andre Palat for the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is a player that they're going to need his offensive game to come alive. You know, his price keeps falling on DraftKings because he's gone three straight games without a point. I look for Palat to get, you know, maybe a little chippy goal, something to spark his game. And just as soon as it sparks, he's a streaky player. So I look for Palat, you know, if he gets going to have a big series. Interesting. And what about uh, David Pasternak? We know it's, it's very fresh. With us, uh, with, with Toronto Maple Leaf fans, especially that six-point night he had at seventy-one hundred bucks, that might be somebody who I'm feeling might be a little overvalued at this point. What do you think with somebody like Pasternak? Agree. I, you know, he's going to be way too high ownership. He's got way too much spotlight on him right now. I think, especially for that afternoon contest, you're going to want to, you're going to have a lot of players going with the Pasternaks, going with the mm. Kucherovs. I would say taper your enthusiasm there. I would go with more of a William Carlson play tonight, who, again, is is rolling right now with Vegas. So, you know, I would let game one of Boston-Tampa Bay sort of play out. Let's get a pulse on how the series is going to be played. Is it going to be star-heavy, or are we going to see more of the Jake DeBrusques, the Palats, you know, kind of those second-line guys really chip away and get the points? Going to be an interesting day and second round. Uh, Rob, hey, man, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you coming on. Hey, had a blast, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rob Reese. Follow him on Twitter, at NHL Reese Fantasy Editor from NHL.com. We'll step aside and wrap up the show with Heroes and Zeros and swing around the National Hockey League with Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. A lot more coming up here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Wheeler to the line, drops, Shifley scores! Mark Shifley off the rush on the drop pass from Blake Wheeler. And the Winnipeg Jets have taken a 3-0 lead. And they would take game 1-4-1. One, one. See if the Jets can keep rolling. Welcome back. Wrapping up TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto across 
the TSN Radio Network. Get us on iTunes if you missed any of the show or want to go back to any of the archived episodes. Also, you can do that on the tsn1050.ca show page. We'll tweet out all the links on Twitter also at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. In his usual cleanup spot, Scott Cullen from tsn.ca. Scotty, how's it going? Awesome. How you doing, Andy? I am doing well, brother. Let's get to what all the people want to hear. <laughs> it's time for the best and worst of the NHL this week. Hockey analytics, heroes and zeros with Scott Cohen and Andy McNamara. The hottest segment in sports radio today, Scotty. And <laughs> the first hero from the Penguins, Jake Gunsel. Well, you know, it wouldn't be playoff uh, Heroes and Zeros without some Jake Gunsel talk. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, he scored 13 goals to lead the playoffs last year. Yeah. This year he's leading with 16 points in seven games. Um, look, some of this is, you know, he you, you put him back with number 87 and things start to look a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, Gensel does a really great job, um, you know, I guess creating offense uh, at this time of year because he, he's generating more shots. Uh, the Penguins are getting more shots with him on the ice. And, you know, I'm sure he's shooting 33%, and that's not going to, to carry on. But that's this is how you end up leading the playoffs and scoring, is you have some percentages tilted in your favor. Right, and the second hero, Austin Watson from the Nashville Predators. And we heard the score in, hey, 4-1, not a lot to, to get excited about in that game for Nashville, but you like Watson. Well, and, and even less in this particular game, because Watson got hurt last night. Yeah. But look at He's, he's a, generally a fourth-line player, and he has seven points in seven games, uh, including four goals, uh, generating a, a little bit more offense. And even during the regular season this year, I mean, Watson only had 19 points, so your, you know, your expectations are pretty modest, but he did have 14 goals. Um, so he's kind, of, he's kind of emerged as a player who, um, you know, he's a fourth-line guy for the most part, kills penalties and, uh, and does the grunt work. Uh, but if he adds a little bit of offense to you, this, this is how a team like Nashville is so dangerous, is you're getting that production lower in the lineup. So those are the heroes. Now to the zeros. Quite honestly, my, my favorite part. I, I like this. Uh, Cla- <laughs> Claude Giroux to kick it off, Scotty. That's true. And, and look, some of being a zero is based on expectations, right? And after exactly. a 100 point season, uh, Claude Giroux uh, goes into that, that first round series and comes out with uh, one goal and two assists for three points. Uh, and the, the real downside of, the, of that series is, is that Giroux got massively outscored at five on five. Flyers were outscored 13 to three with Giroux on the ice. And that. You know that that's really tough for a team to overcome. It's tough for it to over uh, for them to overcome if it happens to any player. It really is tough to overcome when it ha- happens to the best player on your team. Well, yeah. And then the final zero, cover your ears, Maple Leaf fans. <laughs> it's Austin Matthews. Well, you know, we 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 can't just ignore the fact that uh, the least best player managed two points in seven games against the Bruins. However, um, I'm, I'm giving him zero with a bit of a uh, a qualifier here. Okay. Yeah, because look, he. He generated 27 shots on goal in those seven games. So this isn't like Austin Matthews, wow, he was completely invisible and had no chance to do anything. You know, he scored one goal on 27 shots. That's, hmm. that's the kind of thing where that, that, you know, isn't typically going to happen for a guy like Matthews who shoots around 15%. So if he, you know, if he had you know, scored at his kind of normal rate for, for those shots, he would have scored three or four goals in that series, and, and everybody's perception would be different. But uh, this is what happens when you start pulling out a small sample, is, is you, you run into a guy who goes one goal on 27 shots, and we all you know, decide that Austin Matthews can't play in the playoffs, when uh, I, I don't think that's really the case. No, no, 
That was Heroes and Zeros from Scott Cullen on tsn.ca. Follow him on Twitter at TSN Scott Cullen. He joins me courtesy of the Domino's.ca delivery line. You can get a medium feast pizza for just ten ninety nine, Folks, if you haven't tried the Marble Cookie Brownie for dessert, do it. Trust me. Domino's. .ca. Uh, Scott, let's get to some other heroes and zeros on your statistically speaking articles Monday to Friday on tsn.ca. And hey, Connor Hellebuck, Winnipeg, Jets, goalie, my goodness. This kid's having a heck of a season, playoffs, and so are the Jets. Well, yeah, and look, I've kind of been uh, banging the drum for Connor Hellebuck for a while. Like Going back to before last season, I kind of figured he was uh, uh, going to help them turn the corner. And okay, so it took an extra season. Um, you know, but when he took, uh, kind of took the reins of the starting job this year and, and was, you know, so good, um, you know, this is what we, this is what you come up with. You have a Winnipeg Jets team that has a chance to, uh, you know, really do some damage in the playoffs. And look, last night uh, they were outplayed pretty soundly. Uh, but you know, you get a goal yourself, forty-seven to forty-eight shots, and you can feel pretty good about your game uh, after that. And you know, this goes go back to the first round when um, you know he gave up six goals in one game against against Minnesota. Uh, and got pulled. Well, he's come back since and, and you know posted back-to-back shutouts and then stops 47 to 48 shots. Uh, seems to me he's kind of back on his game. Yeah, yeah, and you also have two other Winnipeg Jets here, Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler. That's what I like about the Jets. You can spread out. There's not necessarily one guy you have to focus on. The, the, the spreading out of uh, goal scoring and, and impact players like Scheifele and Wheeler. Oh, absolutely. This is this is their you know great advantage uh, against every team, including Nashville. Is mm-hmm. that you know yes, you have Shifley and Wheeler, and that's great. And you also have Line Eight, and you have Ehlers, and you have Staffney, and you have Brian Little, and you have like you can go down the list. And this is the Jets' great advantage is that they can they can run three scoring lines, and they have a fourth line that is a pretty solid uh, line in its own right. And you know they're just you know even even as we're in the second round of the playoffs, there aren't a ton of teams who who you know, would feel that comfortable with, okay, we have three scoring lines and a fourth line that we can play in any situation. That's just not, you know, that's just not in the cards for, for most teams. And um, it, this is why I think Winnipeg has, you know, has a legit shot. Now, you, know, you can't get out shot 48 to, you know, to 25 every game. No. But, you know, the, you, you also, um, you know, they have enough high-end scoring that uh, every, every once in a while, if you get out shot that way, maybe you, can, maybe you bury a few and your goalie can save you. Right, and that's that's the thing. If you have the pieces around, you can weather the storm for one game. Not all the time, obviously, but but that helps. Uh, Scotty, last one for you here, and I I find this this really interesting. So PK Subban, you mentioned his possession game, sixty six point one percent. Corsi four percent. That's great, but he was yep. on the ice for three goals against. So it's a little bit of okay. Overall, you look and it's it's good, but then you're physically on the ice for three goals. It's a bit of a balance. Yeah, well, exactly. And look, in the long term, if you said, look, P.K. Subban is going to be on the ice for 66% of the shots every night, you're like, yes, perfect, thank you very much, uh, because the odds are, are going to tilt in your favor, uh, I mean, dramatically. I mean, no, no one uh, even maintains that rate, you know. P- Patrice Bergeron, our course he got, uh, runs around 59 or 60%, so, you know. Doing 66% is terrific, um, but you know, on, on a single game basis, uh, you know, when your goalie doesn't uh, play great behind you, or you make a you know a costly error or two, and, th- and this has happened to Subban. I mean, you know, even going back to the last round against Colorado, um, you know, game five against Colorado, they, they they played really well for like two and a half periods, and then all of a sudden, uh, Subban and, and Ryan Ellis kind of had a, a two or three shift stretch where you know they, they gave up the tying goal and the winning goal and it was, and, and it's like well you know that that, that stuff happens in, in the uh, you know in the playoffs when it's this kind of brief surge of uh, events 
but you know, on, on the whole, I think the, the Nashville's got to be pretty happy with what um, what they're going to get from their top four defensemen, and, and you know the results are due to be better than they were last night. Yeah, and we'll see how that plays out on Sunday. Uh, all right, Scotty, thank you so much. We'll do it one more time for the season next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, bud. That is Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. Must follow on Twitter at TSN. Scott Cullen. All right, folks, that'll do it. The season four finale of TSN Hockey Analytics will be next Saturday at noon. So stay tuned for that. Follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the shows, you can get the link there. Uh, post it on iTunes and the TSN1050.ca show page. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.